Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend. Spending time with your family, your friends. There was no tennis, but hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend. Uh, there's a little bit of news that we can get into outside of the tennis world. We can get into Jim Brewer's stand-up. Uh, at Reawaken America event, he did stand-up comedy, uh, so we're going to discuss that. Pat McAfee making history with his FanDuel deal. Kanye and Drake performing at the Free Larry Hoover concert, as well as Will Whedon, uh, an actor that has criticized Chappelle. Uh, so those are the topics outside of the tennis realm that we can get into. But we're, we're but where will I'm already. tongue twisting my words so you know this is going to be a fun episode for me Uh, but where we will start off will be the top five tennis matches of 2021 so last week i broke down the top five tennis moments of 2021 this week i'll be breaking down the top five uh, tennis matches of 2021 so if you're into watching the top five tennis moments of 2021 i released a podcast episode last week titled top five tennis moments of 2021 so go check it out if you haven't already but I will be breaking down the top five tennis matches of 2021 currently right now. Uh, where we'll start off, and there's been a lot of tennis matches that have been great. Uh, and, you know, obviously, I'm not going to have all of them. It's just top five, and these are my top five. It's going to be different from your top five list. But if you have any recommendations or if you enjoyed any tennis matches, leave a comment down below as to what you believed was the top five tennis matches of 2021. Uh, just to keep the community going and just to keep the comments going. Uh, so where I'll start off with my list, I'll start off with number five, Andy Murray beating Nikola Basilashvili, Wimbledon first round, 6-4, 6-3, 5-7, 6-3. I had to include this. I'm an Andy Murray fan, and when he has a good match, when he has a competitive match, it has it's often the talk of the town. And the reason why I put this match as my top five match of 2021 is quite simple. It was his first round match at Wimbledon over two years. He's had a multitude of surgeries, hip surgeries, lower body surgeries, and it sort of regressed his play a lot. And as we all know, Andy Murray's highs are at his highs, but when he's at his lows, man, oh man, they are, he is at his lows. And Andy Murray had Wimbledon and had the UK basically behind him during this match. This is his first round match at Wimbledon after two or three years. It was against Nikola Basilashvili, who is a very commendable opponent, who is an individual that has succeeded a lot in tennis. And throughout this match, Andy Murray was just on another level. He really was. I mean, 6-4, 6-3 in the first two sets. And then it was 5-love in the third set. And in Andy Murray fashion, and I say this as an Andy Murray fan, he blew it. It's the Adam Sandler meme from the Happy Gilmore, you blew it sort of meme, because that's what truly happened. Andy Murray blew it, and Nikola Basilashvili was able to take the third set, something that Andy Murray should have closed out on. Uh, but Andy Murray, however, improved. He was able to take that fourth set, and as a result, improved to the second round of Wimbledon. And I think he was there for two or three rounds before he got bounced. But this is my fifth favorite match of the tennis year. I really enjoyed this match from start to finish. I think it really offered a lot of people uh, the ability to see Andy Murray in a different light. So I, I I include that match as my top five for that reason uh, and many other reasons uh, alluding to that as well. Uh, my number fourth match, the fourth best match of 2021, has to be Rafa Nadal beating Stefano Tsitsipas at the Barcelona Open Final, 6-4, 6-7, 7-5. I say this because... 2021, it wasn't the best year for Rafa Nadal. If I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, it wasn't the best year. There were glimpses, there were moments where Rafa Nadal was at his best, at his apex, and this was one of them. Rafa Nadal beating Stefano Tsitsipas at the Barcelona Open Final at Pista Rafa Nadal Stadium, uh, which is naming a stadium after a, a living athlete or an athlete that's still playing. Uh, that's a little weird, but... Hey, it's, I mean, if you're a Spaniard, you know how much of an influence Rafa Nadal has been on the game. Rafa Nadal beating Stefano Sintipas at the Barcelona Open Final was extremely important for Rafa Nadal because it got Rafa Nadal in a better mindset. You know, Stefano Sintipas played exceptionally well 
during this clay season. He won the line open. He won the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters. Uh, he certainly progressed to the French Open final. So he's no joke on clay. I mean, there's a good chance that 706 spots will win multiple majors or mul- will win multiple Roland Garros uh, in his career. And that's a great thing. Uh, so the fact that Rafa Nadal was able to get in there and beat Stefano Tsitsipas and sort of dissect him in a way that no other tennis player before or after Stefano Tsitsipas was able to do on clay, I think that's amazing. And Rafa Nadal really showed why he was the king of clay, you know, because he could have taken every excuse under the book by losing that second set. Uh, but he was able to compose himself, regain his momentum, and win that third set to thus win the Barcelona Open final. Number fourth match is Rafa Nadal beating Stefano Tsitsipas. Just heading down the list, my number third favorite match, and I know this is a little bit too low on the list, should be a little bit higher, uh, but it has to be Daniil Medvedev beating Djokovic in straight sets 6-4, 6-4, 6-4 at the US Open final. I thought this was one of the best matches of 2021, mainly because it steered Novak Djokovic from winning the calendar slam, right? Winning the calendar slam means you win all four majors in the same calendar year, and Daniil Medvedev prevented that from happening. And the reason why is because Daniil Medvedev was great when it came to net play, bringing Novak Djokovic close to the net so that that Medvedev could hit passing shots, and really relied on hitting great baseline shots that could circumvent Novak Djokovic in a more sophisticated manner. And Daniil Medvedev, as a result, was able to win the US win final and was essentially the first or second person within his generation to win a major, I think second behind Dominic Thiem, as we saw last year in the US Open. So Daniil Medvedev, number third, uh, being Novak Djokovic, uh, I think it was a big upset, one of the bigger upsets of this year. And for that reason, uh, I include it as my top three match. Uh, of the list, heading in at three. Uh, my second favorite match of the year, 706 Boss will get the uh, blunt force of all of these. Uh, it feels like he's there's a trend here, but I, I'm being honest when I say this. Num- my number second favorite match of 2021 has to be Carlos Alcaraz beating Stefano Tsitsipas at the U.S. Open third round, 6-3, love 6-7-6. This is my second favorite match of all time, uh, of the 2021 year, not all time. Uh, and the reason why I say this is because it was just such a huge chalk. You know, when you mention the up-and-coming generation of tennis players, you know, you think of Jonic Sinner. You know, you may think of Americans such as Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka. You know, obviously you think of Zverev, uh, Berrettini, Tsitsipas, all those individuals, Medvedev, team. But not many, not, there haven't, there hasn't been that many discussions around Carlos Alcaraz. And, this match really highlighted that he's in contention within that same age range, within that same group. And, Ra- and Carlos Alcaraz won against Stefano Tsitsipas was such an important match, not only for Carlos Alcaraz, but for the U.S. Open as well. I mean, because it was a one week into it, you know, there was certain off the field, off the court issues that were pertaining to the sport. It didn't really take that much precedence, but overall... It wasn't that good of a look for the sport. Carlos Alcaraz beating Stefano Tsitsipas was tremendous. It was impressive, to say the least. And the reason why it's number two is because it shows that the resilience within Carlos Alcaraz, his ability to handle the, to the pressure and not cave into it. Because after that fourth set, after Stefano Tsitsipas bageled Alcaraz, people were like, okay, you know what? It, it may go Stefano Tsitsipas' way. You know, it may go his way. I mean... He had an unbelievable clay season, like I said, even though he lost in the first round to Tiafu at Wimbledon. He was still there. I mean, he, he was still progressing in the Cincinnati Open. He did well at the Rogers Cup. Uh, so, I mean, he was doing ex- exceptionally well during that season. And Carlos Alcaraz showed why he was in- incredible with that tiebreaker alone in that fifth set. And to see the sh- ground strokes that he did, uh, it was just superb, both from his forehands and from his backhands. So Carlos Alcaraz beating Stefano Tsitsipas at the US Open is my second favorite match of 2021. And of course, the match that I truly enjoyed uh, was Novak Djokovic beating Rafa Nadal at the French Open semifinal, 3-6, 6-3, 7-6, 6-2. This is my favorite match of all time, uh, not all time, of 2021, all time is obviously Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon final. Um, this is my favorite match 
2021. I know people like to include the Italian Open final, but I think this gives a better inclination as to the duel that these two individuals had between these two juggernauts, heavyweights. Uh, Novak Djokovic beating Rafael was extremely important. And the reason why I included this as my favorite match of 2021 is because we rarely ever see Rafael Nadal lose on clay. He's like 217 to 3. Uh, maybe the first number is off by a little, but he's only lost three times. One to Robin Soderling in 2009, one to Novak Djokovic in the early 2010s, and another one to Novak Djokovic as of this year. And the reason why I include Novak Djokovic beating Rafa Nadal is because it proves that even though clay is not necessarily Novak Djokovic's best surface, even though it's his, le- it's his least likely to succeed surface, it's still better. His play on clay is still better than 99.9% of athletes or players that play on clay. So for that reason, it's that's what showed Novak Djokovic to beat or to win against Rafa Nadal is just because of his ability to not cave in, to not... Uh, succeed to the pressures that may be and, and to really focus on what's ahead of him. And that's what allowed Novak Djokovic to beat Rafa Nadal. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why it's my favorite uh, match of 2021, is it, it, which is my favorite match of 2021, is because of the fact that Novak Djokovic was just untouchable during that time. He really was. And you know we saw them play out in the Italian Open, and I'm pretty sure it did go to Rafa Nadal's way. But this shows that the major is that much more important than, say, an ATP 1000 tournament or an ATP 500 tournament. And this major really sort of cemented Novak Djokovic within that GOAT debate, within that GOAT discussion. He was already in it, don't get me wrong. I mean, when he won the French Open, it was his 19th. He was in contention. I mean, he's still in that discussion right now. In my opinion, he's already the GOAT. But I think this match really sort of cemented his status as an all-around seasonal player. And there are certain uh, majors that aren't necessarily in the wheelhouse of individuals. I mean, Rafa Nadal won the Australian Open once. Uh, Same with Federer. He only won the French Open once in 2009. Uh, So there are surfaces that aren't up to par with an athlete. And that's completely fine. But with Novak Novak Djokovic, he proved that even though the clay surface is not his best, it's still better than every other player currently playing with their best surfaces. So that's the main reason why I include this match as my favorite match of 2021. Novak Djokovic beating Rafa Nadal was one the best match of 2021 and then some, and as a result, caps off my list uh, for this year. So again, just wanted to dis- discuss that for you guys on this podcast because um, I know that I mentioned this, I alluded to this last week, and uh, as a result, I discussed it. And next week, I'll be discussing the top five tennis players of 2021, so stick up for that. It's a pretty easy list to make, but next Tuesday, I will be discussing this. Uh, in terms of the timeline for this podcast, I will be having a podcast this coming Thursday. I'll be having a podcast next Tuesday, next Thursday, and then I'll be off for that week. So the week of the week after Christmas... Uh, that sort of blimp week where there's really no discussion whatsoever and everybody's on vacation, I too will not be having my podcast for that week. I will be releasing a podcast episode with my good buddy Nathan Long. We'll be discussing films and movies and whatnot. Uh, We'll be scheduled to film it this Thursday and we'll release it the two Thursdays afterwards. Uh, So just be on the lookout for that. I know it's a little bit early to discuss the best films of 2021 because there's still a backlog of movies that I haven't gone uh, out of my way to watch and haven't really been released. Uh, Licorice Pizza, one of them. Uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie is another movie that uh, will be releasing after I film the podcast, but and as well as Don't Look Up, but I don't really think Don't Look Up will be a, that good of a movie. Uh, but anyways, that's the timetable for this podcast, and uh, hopefully you guys understand. Uh, because, you know, I, I just want to focus on this and then regroup for 2021 because, as we all know, uh, the lack of tennis news has really brought this podcast out to dry. It really has. I really need more tennis news and topics. So, hey, if there's any tennis news and topics, if it's fickle, whatever, I'll talk about it. 
but I just want to discuss that before uh, any of you guys had any, any questions about it. So, so next week, top five uh, tennis players of all of 2021 will be discussed. Uh, all right, let's discuss or let's get into our next topic or our news outside of the tennis world. Will Whedon has criticized Dave Chappelle. So I'm just getting this from the New York Post. After condemning Dave Chappelle's remarks about transgender people in his most recent Netflix special, actor Will Whedon has apologized for his own past homophobia. For much of my teen years, I was embarrassingly, embarrassingly homophobic, and it all started with that comedy special, The Star Trek, The Next Generation. Why are you blaming your homophobia on art? Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. I'll, I'll discuss this in full detail just one second. I'll just get this out of the way. Uh, alum wrote in a Facebook post a reference to Eddie Murphy's 1983 stand-up show, Delirious, and the lengthy social media post he detailed a moment when he was too young and said a slur referencing gay, man, gay men in a locker room, a room full of gay men, no less. He said he was embarrassed and horrified and still thinks about it all the time, offering up an apology nearly 30 years after the incident. Then he turned to Dave Chappelle's comments in his, in his controversial spe special, The Closer. All right, so basically this is just an actor that wants to get his 15 seconds of attention in media spotlight, and he sees Dave Chappelle getting flack and, and getting attention for this, so he decided to just weigh in, and this is just so dumb and so actor-like. I think this just shows that Will Whedon, or whoever this individual is, I, I really don't know. I just got this from Twitter, and I'm like, okay, seems like Chappelle, people are going after Chappelle, so why not go after those individuals? It seems like Will Whedon is an individual that really needs to suck up to the Hollywood elite. He sort of understands and placates to the demands and sort of political ideas and, and theories that are circulating within Hollywood and as a result needs to say something about it. Uh, so he understands where his bread gets buttered and he knows that going after Chappelle is very easy and it's sort of the lowest common denominator in terms of uh, going after individuals within Hollywood to then suckle up to the teat of Hollywood. So he understands the game of it all. Uh, but I, I just think this is just so dumb on his part because it's a comedy special, right? It's an art. It's a piece of art, you know, just because a piece of art, you know, depicts misogyny or sexual assault or rape or murder doesn't mean that the person behind the camera supports it. You know, I, I think we need to have a more nuanced approach and a nuanced idea or way of thinking when we discuss these sort of at issues and topics. You know, just because a piece of art depicts something that we may be vehemently opposed to doesn't mean that the artist behind it supports it. You know, so I sort of view Chappelle in that same vein where I think just because somebody jokes about it doesn't mean that they're actively participating in hate crimes. You know, just because somebody makes fun of transgender people doesn't mean that they're supporting the hate crimes of transgender people. You know, it's just a joke. You know, don't take it so seriously. You know, for a lot of comedians, they just value the last minute and they value getting their point across so that people can laugh. You know, for Dave Chappelle, it may be a little bit different. You know, for Dave Chappelle... In his last Netflix special, it really didn't really he didn't really value the last minute. Uh, so if if you if Will Whedon went after Dave Chappelle for uh, his jokes not really being that funny, then I sort of understand it. But to go after him for like oh he went after trans people, it's like what are you doing here? This is embarrassing. Stop yourself. I mean, to understand that this is like stand-up comedy, whether we like to admit it or not. At the end of the day, it is a piece of art and. If we're going to allow individuals within films to depict, you know, horrible things that we may be opposed to, then why can't we allow comedians to joke about the same material as well? You know, it, it, either all of it's okay or none of it's okay. So that's sort of my opinion on the Will Whedon uh, discussion and Chappelle news. I think it's downright sad to see a person like this uh, really sort of succumb to the group thing that is social media. I think it's kind of sad to see Will Whedon put his name out there by condemning or going after uh, a comedian that's trying to make people laugh. Um, I, I think this is kind of sad, honestly. And it just shows the cognitive dissonance that is Hollywood and how those that are in Hollywood, uh, and this is one of the reasons why there are no comedies, uh, is because their inability to laugh at themselves or laugh at things that uh, may hurt their bottom line. Uh, so that's just my overall opinion on the Will Whedon sort of news and discussion. Um, hopefully, 
I mean, obviously, Chappelle really doesn't care about it. He's making a boatload of money. Uh, he's touring with the Rogans of the world. So he really doesn't really care about this anymore. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just interesting to see this whole play out with the, Sh the Dave Chappelle criticism and critique. And uh, hopefully uh, they can sort of patch things up. I mean, honestly, this is just the news of the day. And it'll go... It will die sooner and quicker than Will Whedon's career in movies, but it's just interesting to see this discussion still play out two or three months after a comedy special has been released. That's the mark of a true comedy special. It's like when you're still discussing it two to three months later or a year later. That's how you know you've made a good, maybe not a good comedy special, but a special that will be remembered in time. And I think Dave Chappelle is the closer. Whether it's for better or for worse, I think it will be remembered in time. And I think, as I've said with my review of Chappelle, I think this is a good special for newcomers of Chappelle who aren't necessarily that adapt or adept to Dave Chappelle's comedy. I think this is a good beginner's course for them. I think this is a good starter for them. It's not my favorite Chappelle special, but I think it's a good starter for them to enjoy. But I think the mark of a true special or the mark of an interesting special is a special that can still be discussed two, three months later. And I think Dave Chappelle's The Closer is one of those specials. Uh, so that's sort of my endorsement of the special. Maybe not endorsement, that's, but that's my sort of comment on the special. And I think Will Whedon is just doing this for attention at the end of the day, which I think is a kind of sad way to go about things. So yeah, that's just my that's just my overall thought on, on that matter. Uh, I know I, I breezed through that topic very fast, but again, like I truly, and I mean this sincerely, I have, I truly do not know who the hell Will Whedon is. And I don't think anybody else knew about him as well. I mean, it's not Scorsese we're talking about, you know, it's not Brian Cranston we're talking about. It's, it's some dude from the CW show that some people know, but other people don't. That's who it is. I have no idea who Will Whedon is whatsoever i just wanted to get that point across uh all right let's get into uh our actually let me plug some dates actually uh so today the pot if you're seeing this on a tuesday on december 14th i'll be at the winter circle in salisbury massachusetts at 7 30 p.m i'll also be at tavern at the end of the world at charlestown massachusetts december 15th at 8 p.m and on sunday i'll be at donahue's barn grill uh this coming sunday um and I will be at those locations uh, at 7 p.m. So Donahue's Bar and Grill, 87 Bigelow Avenue, this Sunday. Go check it out. I uh, highly suggest you do, as well as all the other locations that I've mentioned. They're all completely free. You know, it's all completely free to go to for those locations. Just support the bar, the restaurant. I think it will be impressive and great to see you guys out there. Um, and, you know, I'll definitely talk to you guys if I see you. If there are any, if there is anybody that's listening to this podcast right now that wants to go to these shows, then go check them out. Go check me out. Go come see me live to see some stand-up comedy. So that'll be my overall plug for you guys or for me, uh, actually, uh, for my stand-up. And uh, let's just get into the next bit of discussion here, uh, shall we? Uh, Kanye and Drake performed at the Free Larry Hoover concert Thursday night, Friday morning, I would say. Friday night, Thursday night, I would say, on Amazon Prime and Twitch. Kanye performed first, and then Drake did, and then they both performed together. Uh, Kanye killed Drake. I mean, I mean, he played each and every hit song from his catalog. You know, he played Can't Tell Me Nothing, Flashing Lights. I love the synths that were added to Can't Tell Me Nothing. Uh, he played Mercy, Black Skinhead. Just the the hits. He he really brought his A game. Uh, I really loved uh, his throwbacks to Mercy. Uh, it was it was just such an amazing experience to see Kanye perform the hits, and then Drake performed with Way Too Sexy. Why didn't Drake perform the, the hits? You know, like I'm not the biggest Drake fan. I liked his earlier stuff. Uh, his later stuff, not so much. Uh, the last album I thought was putrid, as evidenced by Way Too Sexy. Way Too Sexy is a horrible song that I do not know why, for the life of me, it is popular. It is horrible. It is god-awful. Uh, the verses are very bad. The, the, the sort of remix or the, the dubbing of the original song, the, the original song is 
not that great either. But when they remixed it, it was worse. And and this really shows the sort of level between Kanye and a Drake. I like Drake. I like his earlier stuff. You know, I think his earlier stuff is good. Uh, I think everything leading up to Views was good. Views, I think that's where you saw like a drop off with Drake. Uh, but if you're reading this, it's too late. I thought that was a pretty good album, honestly. Uh, his earlier, or the, the song about I know way too many people that are hitting on me that I knew from last year. I know, I, I know I'm butchering the lyrics, but that song I like. Uh, there's some, the headline song. I think where he's like, I'm, I'm maybe way too out of confidence. I don't, I don't know the lyrics. Uh, I'm not the biggest Drake fan, as you know, but there are songs that I do enjoy from Drake that I listen to from time to time. But his later stuff was really bad, and I'm sorry, like Kanye really ran circles around Drake, R- really ran circles around Drake, and he played one of my favorite albums from Kanye, and my favorite album from Kanye is 808s and Heartbreaks. And he started playing uh, the Streetlight song. Dude, I nearly like cried. The first time I listened to that song, I, I almost cried. This time, I almost cried as well. It's such a beautiful song. such a beautiful track. And how can you compete if you're Drake? When you see, when you see Streetlights and you're like, you, you got to be like, nothing matches this. Nothing at all. Like, and also, uh, Kanye did cover Drake's uh, Find Your Love. And he, honestly, I think he did better than Drake on his own song. That's how much he killed Drake on this concert. Uh, now, I'll be remiss to say uh, the, the benefit for the concert, which is to free Larry Hoover, who is uh, in jail right now. I did some research on Larry Hoover. I don't know if you, if you want to free this dude. Uh, he, he seems like a pretty thugged out individual. I don't know if you want to free him. Uh, I, there are people in jail right now that are in there for nonviolent drug offenses. I don't know if you want to free a person that uh, is behind a gang and is complicit in mass murder in Chicago. I don't know if you want to do that. Uh, I don't know if that's a good benefit. And the fact that Amazon Prime and Twitch were backing this is a little weird. Uh, but yes, it, I think Kanye did an exceptionally well done job with this performance and there were just so many memes of this uh, on Twitter where it's like, it was like Drake, there was like this tweet of, of I wish I can pull it up. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but it was like Drake watching Kanye perform all, all the hits, knowing that he's to perform uh, CLB. And then it was a picture of Stephen A. Smith in a fast food restaurant with a Yankees shirt over on him wearing a Yankee shirt. And I'm like... <laughs> Like, it, it, honestly, like, he should have gotten a lot of shit for, like, just, for just that performance. I mean, that was very sad uh, to see Drake do that. Uh, I feel like Kanye sort of mother bleeped him or motherfucked him in a lot of songs because, like, they sort of have beef. I know this is very corny to, like, mention rap beef, but they had, like, beef, and then they settled it over uh, the past few months. They stitched it over at a Chappelle show, actually. Um, so... I think Kanye sort of mother bleeped him. I, I think Kanye was like, okay, I'll play Donda, you play CLB, it'll be fun. Uh, and honestly, like, I'll be honest here, if they had a Versus, because I know Versus is, has been very big and has been popularized because of the pandemic, Kanye has proven that he would murder Drake on Versus. I mean, look at all the songs in his catalog. I mean, my favorite song from him is, him is Flashing Lights. I love that song. I can listen to that song each and every day and never get tired of it. Uh, but look at the songs within his catalog. I mean, you have uh, so many songs from 808s and Heartbreaks, uh, Heartless, an- another song, Love Lockdown, a great song that I really enjoy. Uh, Yeezus, you have uh, Black Skinhead, obviously, New Slaves, I love. Um, the fi- uh, Hold My Liquor, another great song. Chief Keef absolutely destroyed that track um and i mean look at this uh even though i wasn't a big fan of yay uh look at the yay album i mean look at the the, the song that he has with uh kid cuddy and O seven O shake i think her name is that song is amazing free i think it's the name of it ghost town yeah ghost town yeah i why did i blank on the name that's that's one of my favorite songs from that album I put my hand on, on a stove to see if I can still bleed and nothing hurts me anymore. 
I think I'm free. I mean, that's it's such an amazing song. I love it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Kanye would run circles around Drake, as evidenced by that free Larry Hoover concert. Uh, so yeah, that's that's just my overall opinion on the Kanye Drake sort of concert beef, whatever you want to call it. I think rap beefs are so corny, honestly. It's just grown men writing poetry to one another. That's what it is. You know, they may act like they're like, you know, these sort of like like thugged out, like bravado sort of, you know, you can't beat me. I'm a murder. You like it's like no, it's it's not like that. I mean, Drake was on Degrassi. Kanye went to an art school. This does not scream thug to me. Like it really doesn't. Kanye has like a, a dollar bill machine that prints dollar bills in his home, and Drake performs in front of a bunch of women, and they're not the most sort of. Like, I got shooters on me. It's like, no, you don't. Like, he, if you're Bill Clinton, sure. Of course. I believe I believe Bill Clinton has shooters on him. I don't know if it's <laughs> these rappers. Or, you know, that's just my overall opinion on that. But uh, let's get into uh, the la- the second to last news of, of this podcast. Pat McAfee makes history with his FanDuel deal. Uh, if you guys don't know, Pat McAfee... Uh, and I'm just getting this from the New York Post, and what may be the richest town deal in sports media history, FanDuel has reportedly signed a contract with the Pat McAfee Show worth in the vicinity of $30 million annually. So he signed a four-year deal worth up to $120 million with incentives. McAfee, whose show already had a, sponsors, a sponsorship deal with FanDuel, confirmed in a YouTube video his show has re-upped with FanDuel for an absurd amount of money on a four-year deal with an opt-out after three years. NFL insider Ian Rappaport was first with the news that an extension had been reached and NBA insider Sean Strania followed up with the annual compensation. It's unclear how much of that $30 million will be base pay as opposed to potential enticements for affiliate referrals. Furthermore, the deal likely includes the pay for McAfee's co-host AJ Hawk and his crew of broadcast, uh, producers and other show contributors. And this is my overall uh, thought process on this. I'm happy with this. Pat McAfee, go make your money. We live in a capitalist system. Go make your money. Uh, I love this. And I think this shows that sometimes the biggest risk risk that you can take, you have to believe in yourself. Because there are a lot of people that, just to give you a little bit of insight scoop on Pat McAfee, he was a blogger for Barstool Sports. He did some shows with them. And Michael Wilbon, who does Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, uh, he's been there for like the past... 20 or so years uh I, when i used to watch pti back in like the fourth or fifth grade he was on with tony kornheiser he's still on the same show uh he was sort of anti pad mcafee joining barstool and he was saying that he has to put the helmet on put the trench put the chin strap on and start punting away because he's not going to make any money doing barstool and now look at him now he's built a juggernaut on youtube all of his YouTube YouTube videos get recommended to me. I watched the recent video where he donated a boatload of money to his former high school, to the athletics department, to the overall school, to his community. And I thought that was a very important experience. And that was a very great video that he posted. Uh, but honestly, this just shows that you can prove the naysayers wrong. You can prove the doubters wrong. You can prove the haters, the, the, the detractors wrong by putting in that effort, by putting in that work. And Pat McAfee, through his deal, shows that it's a level playing field. You know, that all these people that are on TV that have to say the right thing and do the right thing to not piss off their producers or to piss off their bosses, at the end of the day, they don't have leverage. They don't have power. They don't own what they're doing. And with Pat McAfee's show, he still owns his IP. He's just licensing it to FanDuel. And who knows, maybe in four years he can re-up that deal. Maybe in four years he can go to a competitor. He may go to Spotify. Who knows? He may go to Pandora or I, mean, I don't know if Pandora is doing well. I don't think so. Uh, but he can stay on YouTube. I mean, this is what happens when you own your IP, when you own your intellectual property, when you own your business, when you own your rights. You have the, uh, the utmost amount of leverage. And to see Pat McAfee now enter into this sort of lane of, I sort of view him as like Joe Rogan, but for like, more like, a, I don't want to say blue collar working class uh, audience, but for more sort of uh, audience that caters to football and, and to wrestling, like, you know, fictional wrestling. This proves that Packet McAfee is in that same discussion as Joe Rogan. 
And, you know, when you see his commentary on, on SmackDown and you can sort of see that Pat McAfee, even though he enjoys SmackDown a lot, he's not sort of beholden to that job. It, it's, he can still do well even if he loses that job. And Pat McAfee shows that if you move to the beat of your own drum and if you move to what you truly love and enjoy, then nobody can stop you. You know, the only person that can stop you is yourself. And right now, Pat, Pat McAfee shows no signs of stopping. So I think this is great news. And I really enjoy what Pat McAfee has done because this is an inspiration for a lot of people, for a lot of younger channels, for a lot of inexperienced channels, for channels that don't have that same growth or that have that same amount of attention to it as a Pat McAfee show or a Joe Rogan show. There's shows that, you know, you too can be able that I can be able to create a show, maybe not worth $120 million. I don't know if I can create that big of a uh, of a show, but uh, I do think that at times you can still make a show that can get people watching, that can get more people invested, and at the same time not really be beholden or be uh, at the helm or, or sort of be restricted by what corporate media has to say to you. You know, And this is one of those deals where I truly, truly appreciate it, and I think... This can only serve good in the long run. So, I, I mean, Pat McAfee, this is great. I, I fully support it. And this shows that sometimes the biggest risk, you have to be your own believer. You have to be your own biggest fan because if you're not your own biggest fan, then who else will believe in you? You know, I mean, you sort of have to believe in what you have to sell. And with the Pat McAfee show, I think what he's doing is is essentially creating a gap, uh, bridging the gap between uh, that of, say, corporate media and that of new media and i think he's done done it tremendously well the fact that all these corporate media giants are literally getting mad over the fact that he interviewed aaron Rodgers and that he has that intel shows you how much of a of a strength and how much power he has with this show and i think it will only do better with this FanDuel deal now i don't know the specifics maybe it's just relegated to FanDuel. But if he's on YouTube still, if he's making like 120 million on FanDuel while still like uploading certain clips onto YouTube like Joe Rogan has done, that's optimal. That's great. And I think if that's the case and if he's still able to post on Twitter and whatnot and get the word, word of mouth spread out there, then I still I still think that a lot of these corporate media giants will still discuss Pat McAfee. And I hopefully they don't turn on Pat McAfee like they do on like they did on Joe Rogan. Hopefully it's not that. I sort of see it in the water. They see the money. They see uh, how much money he's been getting and how much money he's been giving to charities and other communities. So hopefully they don't go after him too much. But I feel like because of how successful he is, I feel like now the tide is amongst the corporate press. I feel like the tide is turning on him. And I, I don't I don't like it. I don't like it whatsoever. And I think hopefully uh, we can just enjoy Pat McAfee for what he is. He's a person that just wants to have a good time and, and discuss football, and he just made he made the right decision by leaving the NFL. I mean, he was not getting paid that much money at the NFL compared to this deal. So this is great. I love it. Uh, Pat McAfee making history with the FanDuel deal. I think this is a good step in the right direction and honestly an inspiration for a lot of people that don't have the same fan base that Pat McAfee has because now this is a possibility, which I think is commendable and i think is an inspiration to all of us uh that do this on youtube so yeah i mean that's it's great i love it i, I really love it uh, i think more more of this if more of this happens then the better it is it really is so yeah there's that's just my overall thoughts on the pat mcafee deal um let's get into the final discussion for today uh jim brewer performed at reawaken america event and uh did stand-up comedy uh, it was Jim Brewer, so you would expect it to be more physical. Uh, I'm not a big fan of physical comedy. Uh, I do like certain physical comics. Not a big fan of it. I think there are times where I can just get so high and dry, and it, it sort of becomes a caricature of itself, which once you do that, then you enter into like into meta comedy. You enter into the adam kaufman's of the world adam sandberg's of the world i don't know his name the the dude from andy kaufman from like the 80s he was big in like the sort of meta comedy like anti-comedy world which i'm not that big of a fan of but i do enjoy parts of physical comedy you know i like earlier dan cook specials i do like sebastian maniscalco so i enjoy uh physical comedy but this 
was just so bad. So Jim Brewer um, went to this conservative conference and he was sort of discussing how dogmatic people's opinions are on COVID and how they sort of take Fauci and the media at their word and don't really question things. And I really like the premise, but the way he goes about it is like very bad. And he imitates a liberal by doing a parrot voice. And he's like, and he's like, wear a mask, wear a mask through a parrot voice. Like, wear a mask. Like, like that's the first and last time I'll ever do a parrot voice. Uh, but th- that's what he was doing and doing the physical act out of it as well. And I'm like, what's happening here? Like, why isn't this the same person that like people on podcasts like talk up as like this comedic genius and this is what he has to like do how how is this possible like why why are you embarrassing yourself this is just so bad and don't get me wrong like i agree with a bulk of what he's saying i think people are very too dogmatic with their opinion on on the coronavirus i i feel like there hasn't really been that much that much discussion in terms of herd immunity and uh, having antibodies and those who do have the virus who do that did get the virus they're uh, less at risk of getting the variants of it as opposed to somebody who is vaccinated and has never had covid it's pretty statistically uh, evident that those who have covid or had covid are less adapt to getting the variant of it uh, so there are parts of it where i do agree with jim brewer you know i agree with his premise but the way he goes about it i think is very sad uh, and don't get me wrong, I like physical comedy, but there comes a point where it's just too much. And when you see Jim Brewer, it's like he's not. I value the economy of words, you know. I value the importance of getting your thoughts out there with the right cadence, with the right delivery, with the right setups and and punchlines and tags. I don't see that through physical comedy, you know. I really don't. Uh, so with Jim Brewer, it's hard for me to really started to dissect this because I do agree with his premise. I do agree with what he's saying. Just the execution of it all is not that great. And hopefully Jim Brewer's there. You know, hopefully we haven't lost Jim Brewer, you know, because uh, he's, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I've seen comics that traditionally are sort of in the same group think of Jim Brewer sort of dog down on this. Uh, and sort of went after this. So it's not just me that that has a problem with with this show, right? It's I'm not mad at what he's saying. I'm mad at how unfunny it is, right? Like, this is no different than that of Hannah Gatsby, right? If, if you're a comic that went after Hannah Gatsby, you got to go after Jim Brewer as well, right? You, you've got to go after comedy that serves one political narrative but isn't that funny, right? Like, you have to go after both sides of the aisle, and to me, this is like Hannah Gatsby, but for people that are center-right. You know, this is Hannah Gatsby, but for people, for boomers that are saying, oh, millennials don't get it, but then enjoy, like, horrible, horrible pieces of, of content that sort of don't align with what they're saying, right? Like, boomers will be like, oh, these millennials are so soft, they don't understand true art, and then they'll watch Friends. I'm like what are you doing? You're saying you care about art. You say you care about, you know, being against PC culture, but he shows the most PC culture show ever. Like, really, you really have. Uh, but again, I feel like Jim Brewer is in that same vein of of that boomer that, you know, is oh, millennials, and then they watch this and be like, see, why can't you joke like this? It's like, what are you saying? You're, you're, there are better comedians that you could have picked <laughs> there are better there are comics that actually say something on their in, in the microphone and, and actually like back it up with great and uh thoughtful jokes and, and bits and tags it's not that you don't get that from jim brewer uh yeah so um, and that's just my uh thoughts on all that uh but again hopefully we haven't lost jim brewer you know because you know he is big into the conspiracy thing which is fine i mean Honestly, I think you can't live in America if you don't believe in a few conspiracies. I do. Uh, I don't know if I want to be uh, vocal about my belief in conspiracies, uh, about certain conspiracies. Maybe some sometime later. Uh, I don't know what. Why didn't? Why didn't? I don't know. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, what? Why were? Why were George Bush and Cheney uh, not willing to testify in the 9/11 Commission? You know, I'm I'm willing to go there. Uh, 
what happened uh, to all the people that accused Kevin Spacey of assault. What? Why did they all suddenly die? You know, what happened to the person that leaked the Panama Papers? Why did he suddenly die? You know, what, what's currently happening with Assange? I mean, there's so many conspiracies that I do believe in. Uh, but with Jim Brewer, it, it's not necessarily him believing in, in conspiracies. But I just think that with Jim Brewer, it's you, you, for the past year or so, it's been... I don't even know what he will want to discuss it, like, to say about it. It's just, it's just sad to see him like this because... I don't know, like, he was, like, the pot comic, you know, he was the comic that joked about weed and, and all that, and now he's switched up, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not mad at what he's saying, it's just unfunny, and, and I, I don't like to see this, you know, I don't want to see one's funny comics then go to this for cheap laughs and to grift to an audience, I don't like it, I don't like it when audiences grift or placate to the room, you know, I see, I see comics, and I say this because I go to open mics, where you know, they'll say one thing to a particular audience and then they'll go to a different audience with a different sort of belief system and they'll switch up their material just to placate to them. And I'm like, no, like, be honest with yourself. You know, if you found it funny, if you find your jokes funny, then you should do your jokes everywhere. And if they don't find it funny, then you still have to believe in it. And I think with Jim Brewer, he's placating to an audience because he knows that he can't just get there by comedy alone. And that's fine. You uh, you do have to find your audience at some point. You know, I still haven't found my audience, but it, it's you do lose a, lose a piece of your soul when you're just placating and, and capitulating to an audience instead of just being funny. And for Jim Brewer, I, I feel like he's in that mindset right now. He's in that stage of of trying to be funny or trying to placate, but also trying to be funny. And you can never have those two together. Otherwise, you just turn into Hannah Gatsby. So. That, that's just my overall thought on on the uh, Jim Brewer sort of situation. It, it's an easy time to be a stand-up comic. It really is. Like, you see the the names that people sort of uh, hold up to a high standard or people that people think are funny, and you see uh, the overall adulation and adoration that they get. And it sort of makes you realize, well, not to say this from experience, but I, I look at certain comedians, I'm like, if this is considered funny then Lord knows what they'll think of every other person's material that goes to an open mic that is trying to get go for laughs. You know, like, like understand that, you know? Um, so that's just my thought process when it comes to these comedians that are viewed as this idyllic standard of, of funny when in reality uh, they're just as complicit, if not more complicit, and, and trying to capture the thoughts and ideas of an audience without actually being funny. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think we're entering into a point in, in, in comedy where things are just getting stale. You know, they're getting stale. They're, they're not really being, you know, that, that enjoyable, I would say. They're not being that sort of, it's getting stale and repetitive. And, you know, when you see physical comedy like this, like almost to the point where it's, it's borderline ridiculous and, and nonsensical. Uh, it, it sort of makes you realize that the barometer for comedy is so low at the moment. And anybody that is able to like just come up with like a witty joke will then be viewed as a competent comedian. So, I mean, that's just my overall opinion on the, uh, the sort of the Jim Brewer sort of news and whatnot and information. Um, and that's just what I believe, you know. Obviously, uh, people like physical comedy as evidenced by like the amount of people that loved Dane Cook back in the early 2000s. You know, people like physical comedy, especially with Maniscalco and what he's doing right now. Um, and I do enjoy it. You know, I, there are parts of physical comedy that I do enjoy, but there comes a point in time where it's just too much. Where it's just too much of physical comedy can really, in my opinion, like bog down a, co a comedian's sensibilities and their ability to be funny on a more articulate level or, or in a more like conversational level and a more witty uh, observant level. So yeah, that's just my overall thought process when it comes to the Jim Brewer news and, and situation at hand. Uh, so yeah, that's I think that's all the topics that I'll be discussing for today. Uh, let's break it. Let's get into my weekly pick, shall we? So each week I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, an album that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week I'll be recommending, and I recommend this recommended to this to you guys this album before. I'll be recommending John Mayer's Saw Brock. 
Uh, I recommended this album four or five months ago, I, th- I would say, June, July. I still listen to this uh, constantly. I really enjoy this album. I know it's not for everybody, and I know this is very nor- this is very much a normie pick. So I'm very sorry, sorry on that. But I recommend this I recommend this album. And there's certain there's so many great songs that I still listen to repeatedly. I really love Wild Blue, uh, New Light. I guess I just feel like Last Train Home. These are song, some songs that I truly enjoy. Uh, you know when he when he says. Uh, you will never know the unbridled beauty of letting you go. I'm like, man, that that just hits right home, man. That really hits home. Uh, so I enjoy this soft rock album, this sort of blues rock album, I would say. Uh, so that's again my weekly pick. I was going to recommend to you guys Kevin Hart's True Story, but then I stopped watching after like the third episode in because it was kind of predictable. I sort of knew the ending of it, and um, yeah, it was just. I, I'm sure it's great. But I knew the ending, and after watching Midnight Mass, when I know the ending of something, it sort of makes me not enticed to watch it. So I'm sure it's a good show. I'm sure it, I, there are a lot of parallels to Kevin Hart's personal life to this to that of the of the show. So I'm sure for that reason and that reason, uh, it, it it is a good show. But I just I just I just couldn't watch it after knowing what happened, you know. And again, that's not a knock on the Kevin Hart thing. It's just. Uh, I just can't watch things knowing the ending. Uh, so yeah, and in terms of physical comedy, uh, I, I'm sure Kevin Hart's funny, but I, I just couldn't watch it because of the ending alone. So that would have been my weekly pick, but I just stopped after the third episode in. And um, yeah, that's just my overall, that's my weekly pick, John Mayer, Sob Rock. Uh, I think this is a, a culmination of what we've come to expect with John Mayer, uh, or the culmination of everything that we've known of John Mayer whether it's through Room for Squares or heavier things, that of, say, Continuum. I think this is a culmination of what we've come to expect with John Mayer, and and it's sort of broken down John Mayer in in a way that's deeper and sort of more ominous than that of, say, his previous albums that we've come to expect from him. So John Mayer, Sobrock, I really enjoyed this album. It's not my favorite John Mayer album. I think that's still a toss between Room for Squares and Continuum, but it's still a good album regardless, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. I know people like to hate on John Mayer, but I think he's one of the more talented guitarists within our generation. And I think even though his lyrics can be sort of cringe at times, you know, I, even John Mayer would admit to that. Uh, I still think he is a very talented individual, as evidenced by his arrangements on Neon. Neon is an amazing song that I think you guys will enjoy. And that's my favorite John Mayer song of all time. Neon, I, I listen to all the time. I love that song. A lot of music in this podcast. But uh, anyways, uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, That's all the time I have. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OJTucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore. The links are all in the description box down below if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, also make sure if you're on WhatsApp that you spread the word on WhatsApp as well. Uh, I think that'll be very important. I think that'd be very great. And that's all the time I have guys. So thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you check out my podcast on Thursday as well. I'll be talking about things within our tennis world, hopefully tennis world and things that are happening within our political and societal realm as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.